may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Here Peter talks about uh, great, exceedingly great and precious promises. And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. I'd like to talk about six promises of God. And I owe Yancey a little bit of apology because he came to me before church. He said, are there any songs that go good with your lesson? I thought, no, I don't think so. And then Mike gets up and leads, standing on the promises of God. So I thought, wow, is that not providential? So I'd like to talk about six promises. Now, I've heard it said that there's only seven or eight promises that God actually made. Whether or not, how many there are, I don't know. But I only want to talk about six promises. And I think as a Christian, when we know these six promises, and as the song says, we can stand on these promises, we we know what they say, and we believe them, and then we live our lives in accordance to these promises, I think we're going to have really good lives. The first promise that Jesus, or what, well, one of the most important promises that God makes to us is that He's always going to supply us with the necessities of life. In Matthew chapter 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us, He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, He's been talking about how God takes care of the flowers and the field and the plants, and, and they don't get all in a tizzy and worry about whether or not there's going to be rain. They just do their thing. Uh, Jesus says that we can just live our lives knowing that God will take care of us and He will provide the necessities. In Psalms chapter 37 and verse 25, David says, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous nor forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. David says, in all my life, from the time I was young until now, when I'm old, God has always taken care of his people. God supplies the necessities of life. Now what you and I want, what you and I may think are necessities, and what God thinks are necessities are maybe two different things. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 6, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. In a Bible study recently, it was brought up, says, it doesn't say anything about houses here. Well, maybe that's not a necessity of life. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're talking all about all the great people of faith. It talks about those who, who wandered about and lived in caves. basic as we think a house is or an apartment or a place to live, that's not necessarily what God's promises. He hasn't promised us a big house or a nice house or any kind of house for that matter. Paul said if we've got food and clothes to wear, let us be content. And we start getting ourselves in trouble when we're not content with those things. We start wanting other things. But Paul told Timothy here, he said, godliness with contentment is great gain." we can learn to be happy with the necessities of life, then we'll be a lot happier. And there's a lot of people that have a, a, a lot more than what you and I have. There are people that have so
so much money, I can't imagine having that much money. The things that they spend their money on, I just can't imagine having that money. And yet a lot of those people aren't happy. In other words, what you and I have right now, everybody's got clothes on and everyone looks well fed. You and I can be the happiest people in the entire world, happier than anyone else, if we can have godliness and contentment at the same time. Now, some blessings God gives to everybody. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about God's love for mankind, and he says he, says he sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. Everybody that lives in the United States enjoys the blessings of, that we have here, the wealth that we have, the safety, the peace, whether or not they're Christian. Even the Satan worshipers enjoy some blessings. But then there are other blessings that God has reserved solely for his people. And one of these is that he will always provide the necessities of life. A second promise that God has given us is the forgiveness of sins. Last uh, Sunday I talked about 1 John chapter 1, so I know this is going to be a repeat for some of you, but it's not for others. I'm going to go ahead and say the same thing again. I'm not forgetful. I do remember I said this last week. In 1 John chapter 1, in verse 9, here's another promise of God. John writes that if we confess our sins, He, talking about God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now what does it mean when it says that God is faithful? If we talk about someone in church being faithful, that means they believe in God, they trust in Him, they trust in His promises. Does God believe in Himself? Does he, is He a faithful Christian? Well, no. If any of you were ever Boy Scouts who were the Twelve points of the scout law. And the first point of the scout law was the scout is trustworthy. That means he is worthy of the trust that you put in him, that he will do what he's supposed to do or what he said he will do. The boy scout is trustworthy. And when God is described as faithful here, it's not the same as when you and I are described as faithful. It's the same as when a boy scout is described as trustworthy. He is worthy of you putting your trust in him. God can be trusted. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Just means you will do the right thing. You're honest. You have integrity. God can be trusted to do the right thing. Then what is the right thing? If we confess our sins, He will forgive us of our sins. In Matthew chapter uh, 18 and verse 11, Jesus said, The Son of Man come into the world to save sinners. That's the only reason, or that's the main reason that Jesus came here, was to save our souls. And so he died on the cross for our sins, and as we read in 1 John chapter 1, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, it is a fearful thing to fall into Sometimes when you're alone, maybe when you're driving, maybe when you're laying down and it's quiet and you're about to go to sleep, just think for a minute about judgment day. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to be so...
so excited when Judgment Day comes. I don't know about that. Moses was a man that went up into the mountain, or onto the mountain, for 40 days and talked with God. But yet when Moses, God appeared to Moses, it says he was afraid and trembled. He was shaking. How long has it been since you were so scared that you were shaking? And just imagine for a minute that we're all going about our business like we are right now. And then we hear this terrible, horrendous noise. And all of a sudden, I don't know how things are going to work. I don't know if we're going to get a different kind of vision or things are going to dissolve. But all of a sudden, we can either see through this ceiling or the ceiling disappears or whatever. And we see Jesus coming down into the heavens and all the angels. And we hear the trumpet of God. And not only can we see this, but everyone in the United States, people in China, everyone in the whole world can see this all at once. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And yet that's where we're all being. Romans chapter 14, Jesus says, Every knee shall bow to me, and every uh, tongue shall confess my name. We're all going to be there. But it is a good thing when somebody knows us, our wife, our husband, our best friend, our parents, our children, when somebody knows us, and they know every fault. Angie knows things about me that I hope none of you ever find out. And there's things about you that I really would prefer not to know. It is a wonderful thing when somebody knows these things about you. Rather than hating you, or despising you, or looking down on you, or, or telling other people these things that you've committed, they love you, and they treat you with respect, and they would do anything for you, including laying down their lives. It is a wonderful thing when someone knows all your sins, and they don't matter. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah, when God uh, prophesied or, or told about this new agreement he was going to make with mankind, he says their sins and their iniquities or their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. It's just like they've never been to that. It's just like you were always the good person. Now, there's lots of good things that could be said about forgiveness. But one of the best things is, is that it frees us up to live our lives. We don't have to wake up each day with the shame and the embarrassment and the guilt for the stupid things we said, the feelings we hurt, all the things that we've done wrong, we can just forget about because it's been wiped clean. It is no longer. Jesus is forgotten. God is forgotten. We can start each day brand new. It frees us up from that burden and from that guilt and from that weight. You're like me. You've had jobs where people... Or maybe family members where people never let you forget things that happened in the past. And we're not that way here, are we? Heard a woman one time, uh, she said, people say, you know what, you live in your own little world. And we do. 
got here, we forgive each other. We don't bring up the things that we've done instead of the past. We just forget completely about them. And it's not that way in the world. There's a lot of people living in misery, people committing suicide, people trying to drown their sorrows and regrets and sins and alcohol and drugs and sex. We live in our own little world. It is nice to be forgiven, and that's a promise of God. The third promise that we have from God goes right along with this. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, or peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And of course, this goes along with all the other problems. If we know that God's going to take care of us, if we know that we've got forgiveness, then we can have peace. Jesus says not peace like the world enjoys. Everyone that lives in the United States lives in peace from war and pretty much from crime. It's a lot different living here and living in Nigeria. When Mike and Corporal Nellers went to Nigeria, they went to a, a motel or something. I think it had walls around it, and they never left. That's how dangerous it is in Nigeria. It's not that way here. Everyone enjoys peace. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you a different peace. Paul wrote to the Philippians about a peace that passes all understanding. If you want to see the movie, uh, God is Not Dead, there's a scene in there where a woman describes a prison. But it's not a prison with bars. It's a very comfortable prison. And you don't even realize that you're in prison until the door is shut. Melissa posted something about that on Facebook, and someone says, you know, that doesn't sound like much of a prison to me. But you don't realize it's a prison until the door shuts. For a long time, we can live our lives and do the things that destroy our health and the things that don't really bring happiness. But then one day people wake up, and they look back at their lives, and it's just been wasted. They have nothing to show for it. Jesus warned us that don't lay up for yourself treasures on heaven where moth corrupts and thieves break through and still lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. A lot of people get to the end of their life and realize they have no treasure in heaven. They have no peace of mind. They have nothing to look back on and be happy about. The door is shut and death is near and they realize that they've been in a prison all their life. Jesus says, I give you peace but not as the world. Now, one result of this peace is just God warning us. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul wrote, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. That it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth found a religious radio station I've been listening to a lot, and uh, they've had some people on there. This one guy used to be homosexual, and he repented and turned to Christ, and I think he's got a website or some stuff, maybe written some books or something, where he tries to help other people overcome this. And one of the things I've learned is that someone that's a homosexual uh, has a lifespan of 8 to 20 years shorter than the average person. They have cancers that are very high among homosexual community that we don't have among us. And there's other diseases that they have also. Now at the time, they may think, oh, this is fun. I'm having a good time. 
shuts foes on that prison, eventually judgment day comes, and they realize that they weren't having as good a time as they thought. And eventually, we've got to pay the price for the way we live our lives. You can pick up one end of the stick, and you pick up the other end too. We can make our decisions, but we're not free to choose the consequences that go with those decisions. And God warns us. He warns children. He warns us in all different ways about the things that are bad for us. And this is one of the reasons that forgiveness and other things that we enjoy a peace the people out there don't enjoy. Jesus said, I give you peace, not as the world gives you peace. That's one of the promises. That's the third promise that Christ gives us. In Romans 8, in verse 28, Yes, and will rejoice. 
So you get some people trying to make Paul's life miserable, some people preaching Christ out of sincerity. Paul said, it doesn't really matter, because either way, Christ gets preached, and that's what I want done. I'm happy about that. All things work together for good. And all things work together for good for you and me. In Romans chapter 5, said that when you go through hardships like death or serious illness or divorce or something that just tears up your world, that you either come out of it better or bitter. We've seen people that come out of it better, but then we've seen people come out of it better. That's what Paul means when he says all things work together for good. Let's see how that works for you and me. Romans chapter 5. Verse 3, Paul says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. In other words, when bad things happen, we like it. For we have glory in it. Knowing the tribulation produces perseverance. Have you ever gone through a hard time, a loss of a job, or maybe a hard job, or financial difficulties, and you just could not see the light at the end of the tunnel? But you couldn't quit. You had to keep going, and so you kept on going. And eventually, we see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we get out. I asked Allison, who just graduated from college, I said, was it worth it? And she said, yes. Probably a lot of Sunday nights, she stayed up late cramming for tests at the time. She didn't feel like it was worth it. But uh, tribulations produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, what does that mean? Well, when we go through hard times and there's nothing else to do except keep on going and we keep on, and, and then things work out good, we're a better person. We learn something out of it. And that prepares us for maybe harder trials that are going to come. So we become a better person. And character produces hope. In other words, we have hope that no matter how bad things are now, no matter what other trials are coming up, in the end, Back up there in Romans, the chapter 4, talking about Abraham, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed. In other words, when he could see no way for this to have a good ending, there's no way this is going to work out good. Who, contrary to hope, in hope to believe, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. When there was no hope, Abraham kept hoping. And that's what we learn through perseverance. And that's what parents tell kids. The kids come home from school or from college or maybe after they've been married a year or two and they're crying on mom's shoulder or dad's shoulder. Oh, this is so awful. What are we going to do? Parents say, now, now, let's just settle down. And they talk to them. And they give them wisdom that they've gained over the years as they've gained character. Says, I remember when your dad and I, and blah, 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 and we didn't have a nickel to buy a loaf of bread, and the child goes away with hope. Perseverance builds character and hope. All things work together for good to those that love God. And most people don't have that promise. Again, that's why you have suicides and divorces and all manner of heartache. 
Lesson number five is good news and bad news. First Corinthians chapter ten. And verse thirteen or verse twelve. No, verse thirteen. Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God says that no matter how bad your life is, no matter how tempted you are to be wrong, God is not going to allow you to face a temptation that's too great for you. Now, the bad news is, if you're looking for an excuse to justify doing wrong. Paul just took away that excuse. He says, no, the things that you're going through, other people have gone through, and what you're going through is not too great. Now, you can either suck it up and endure this and get over it, or you can give in to temptation. But don't blame God for this temptation. Don't blame God when you fail. This temptation you're facing is the same thing that loads and loads of other people that's also the good news. You've been having this pain in your side or it just won't go away and after a few weeks or a couple months you realize it's not uh, just indigestion. It's not just a full muscle. It's something else. So you go to the doctor and he runs blood tests and he says, hmm, send you in for an MRI or a sonogram. For a sonogram, and they do a sonogram of this area right here, and they find some stuff. They said, Let's send you in for an MRI. It'll, it'll tell us better what's going on. So you go in for an MRI, and you're starting to sweat. We know a lot of people got family members, and church members, and co workers with cancer. Some of them got over it, and a lot of them didn't. Now, something's wrong with you and me. Doctor won't tell us what it is, and we try to get something out of him. He said, Well, let's just wait and see. So you go in for an MRI. Now you're sweating it out. You're waiting to find out if you've got liver cancer or pancreatic cancer or what. So the results come back, and you go into the doctor, and he says, Oh, it's nothing. This happens to lots of people. We can deal with it. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? You don't want to go into the doctor and him find out what you've got and say, I've never seen this before. That's bad news, isn't it? You don't want to hear that. What you want to hear when you go into the doctor is, I see this all the time here. Let me write you a prescription. You'll be over in six weeks. And that's some good news, isn't it? And this is the good news that Paul gives us here. He says that God will not allow us to be tempted above that we were able, but that he will make a way that's important because we want to be saved. We don't want to be lost in our sin. Now, often the answer to escape is just to flee. Remember when Joseph was sold as a slave in uh, Egypt, I guess, and he was working in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife made sexual advances, and she grabbed his jacket, and he just slipped out of it and left. 
he actually fleed temptation. That's uh, usually the best thing to do is just to not even stay close. Have you ever gone into a, a Christian's house? I think that you can tell an awful lot about a Christian by looking at their bookshelf. Or not a Christian, anybody. Looking at their bookshelf. What kind of books do they read? Do they have a lot of romance novels? Or do they have a lot of historical stuff? Or maybe military stuff? Or do they have poetry and literature? You can tell a lot about a person's interests by looking at their bookshelf. Now, if you want to see a very interesting bookshelf, go and look at Laura Richardson's bookshelf. She's got all of that stuff except for the romance novels. I'm impressed with the quality of books that she reads. But have you ever gone into a Christian's house and you're looking through the bookshelf and you're looking at maybe the, the concordance and Bibles and commentaries? Right here's all the DVDs or videos and you, and you see one and you go, Really? You know, we say that we're having a hard time with sins. What if our fellow Christians can look in our mind and follow us 24 hours a day and read our every thought and hear everything we say and see every magazine that we read or, or whatever. If we say that we're fighting this particular temptation, would they look at us and say, really? You're fighting this temptation, yet you're going here or you're associating with these people? Really? In other words, are we serious about overcoming this sin? Usually the best way to overcome sin is just simply to flee it, not just avoid the temptation to begin with. Another thing is to hang around Christian people. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, Solomon says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall... For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold core is not quickly broken. Just the people that we hang around with will help us to flee a lot of temptations. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, evil companionship corrupts good manners. Well, the opposite of that is true. Good companionship is going to help us to be better people, like Solomon says here. The fifth promise is that God will not allow us to be tempted above the we're able, and that's good news. And the sixth promise I want to look at this morning Oh, it doesn't mean that there's only six. It's victory over death. First Thessalonians chapter four. And verse thirteen. Paul says, I did not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, or concerning those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So we've got two people, kinds of people. There's ten kinds of people in the world, binary and non-binary. We've got two kinds of people here. The people that have lost loved ones and have no hope. Well, Paul says, I don't want you to be like that. And so I'm explaining these things. We need to have hope about those that have died. 
I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or those who have died in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We have victory over death. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 51, Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to die. But we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this incorruptible must put on corrupt, incorrupt, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I realize that God has put within each of us a fear of death. We, when it's our time to go, we just don't want to go. That's the way God made human beings. And I'm sure that for most of us, that's probably the way it's going to be, no matter if we die cancer or car wreck or whatever. We're going to be scared of the last minute. But we have hope. We know that we'll all be changed. We know that when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring the dead in Christ, which may be you and me too. Either way, we're going to be changed, and death will have no more power of us. And we won't have to die the second death, which is a lake of fire and brimstone. God has given us hope when the end comes. So these six promises should help us to have a better life. One no matter how bad our finances are now, God will take care of us. He'll give us the necessities. He forgives us for our sins. We have peace that other people don't have. All things will work together for good for you and me. No matter how dark the situation is now, things will work out for good for us. Temptation, there's no temptation that's too strong. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about uh, God sending the rain on the just and the unjust. There's a lot of blessings that everybody enjoys. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
God sends the rain on the just and on the unjust, but these six blessings we've just talked about and others also, He only reserves for His special people. They are not for people outside of Christ. Paul talks about spiritual blessings in Christ. So we've got to remain in Christ if we want these promises. And if we're not in Christ, we probably want to be there, especially before judgment day gets here. If there's any changes that you need to make in your life, we pray that you'll think about that now and determine to do that. Hope to sing this.